If you're able, please rise and body your spirit as I read this reading from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. Now, when King Herod heard this, he was frightened. And all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. And then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Amen. Let's be seated. This past Thursday, in many parts of the Christian household, we began celebrating what is known as the Feast of the Epiphany, and we hear this particular gospel passage from Matthew every year for this occasion, the story of these wise men coming from the east and searching out and finding the Christ child. Now, the word epiphany simply means showing or shining forth. So, divine light shines forth from this child. But I have come to understand it not so much as the appearance of God, so much as the transparency of God. For the divine light that shines in the Christ child is not a foreign light to this earth. See, as Christians, we celebrate no other has ever more fully revealed this divine light than the one we call Jesus. However, it is the same light that is at the very heart of all life. It is the light from which all things come and were created. And if somehow this light were extracted from the universe, everything would cease to exist. 
So this is a story about the light, capital L, at the heart of everything. At the heart of me, at the heart of you, and at the heart of how we can be children of this light together. Now this group of magi were, by the way, believed to have been Zoroastrian priests. An ancient order in a Persian priestly blend of leaders among their own people and their own religion who practiced various science-centered rituals and whose practices included things like astrology in their everyday lives of faith and how they expressed it. And so this group of foreign, royal, stargazing outsiders follow the light of the star through the lens of their own religious tradition and are led to the Christ child. That's a lot to take in. What are we to notice? Well, in the Christ child, this light shines in complete fullness. He is our epiphany as Christians. He is our showing forth of the divine light and love. Even the Magi, though, the stargazers, noticed And they drew close. Now, what a gift. I I don't mean just those gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh that they brought to pay homage with. I mean, what a gift they both received when they found the Christ child, but also what an amazing gift they displayed in their wise and courageous discernment to follow the light all the way to where it led them. There in each and every one of us, as we say around here, and every single other, is this light. Maybe it's deeply hidden sometimes under our confusions or inconsistencies, or maybe sometimes we just don't shine it as brightly as we could because we live in disbelief that we really are who God says we are as we were originally created. Good. This light, however, is always waiting to come forth anew in brilliant fullness. Now, I'm reminded as I read this story from Matthew's Gospel that I have heard more than one of my rabbi colleagues describe a similar but different story from the Hebrew Scriptures. It is often traditional rabbi commentary of the story of the burning bush in the Hebrew Scriptures um, that sounds somewhat like this story to me. You see, the way they read and comment on the story from the Hebrew Scriptures of Moses and that proverbially ever-burning bush is, is this. What I have heard many a good rabbi say is that if we are wise when we read and think about the story of Moses and the burning bush, we will listen and and notice that the important thing about the story of Moses and the burning bush is not that the bush is burning, but that Moses notices. Because they say every bush is burning in his own fire with the presence of the divine. Everything in the universe shines because God is at the heart of it. And so it is in our epiphany story. It is a story that invites us to open our eyes to the light that was for us most fully revealed in Jesus, but is also seen everywhere in flickers, glimmers, and various brightnesses, if we have eyes to see it. Now, there are three things that particularly strike me in our reading from Matthew's gospel this morning. 
The first is that the story is a story about following stars and paying attention to dreams. Now, this is radically different from how most of us in the Western world have been trained to see it, isn't it? This is crazy talk. The second thing that strikes me is that this is a story about finding light beyond the boundaries of what is most familiar to us, beyond the boundaries of our nation, beyond the boundaries of our own preferred brand of religion. If we are paying attention at all to this story, the author of Matthew's Gospel wants us to know very clearly that these stargazers from an entirely separate religious tradition also recognize truth and have something to teach other truth seekers regardless of their religious background. And the third thing is that this is a story about enormous risk. Because, you see, the light that the wise men find is a threat to the people who were in power in that day, namely Herod. And so those who think they are most in control, those who think they have the most power, those who think because of that they should call all the shots, should be a little unsettled by this story, both then and now. Now let's turn our attention to the first feature I mentioned that strikes us from this story, and that is the following of stars and dreams. How can we be sure about paying attention to such signs in our lives? I mean, that's just wild, right? Well, in the Celtic Christian tradition, there is a practice of what is called reading from the two books of God. The big book and the little book. When they talk about the big book, it refers to the universe, to the creatures and creation, to everything that has been since spoken into being by the creator. Do these words sound familiar? In the beginning was the word, capital W, says John in John's gospel in his opening words and verses. And all things, of course, came into being through the word or in the, try this on for size. We, we miss this metaphor sometimes. In the beginning was the word. How about this? In the beginning was, capital S, the sound. Some folks miss that the word is spoken and it makes a sound. You could say, the sound was with God, capital S, and the sound was God. Everything that has been created reverberates the glory of God and is essentially a sounding, a vibration of God. All of the universe is alive with a sacred vibration, a living text that we are hopefully learning to read when we pay attention, and that includes the movement of the creation around us, the stars, the flowing of the seasons, the dreams of the night. And so in the Celtic Christian tradition, this is learning to read the big book, the cosmos, the universe, the word, the sound, capital S. But there is also the little book in the Celtic Christian tradition, a little book physically compared to the universe, because the book of Scripture, which we listen for God speaking to us through those who have gone on before us, our spiritual ancestors, mothers and fathers and siblings in the faith, their experiences of God, including their mistakes and sometimes failures, as well as their hopes and dreams and their wisdom are given to us so that we too can learn the way in which God speaks in the human heart and in human history. 
And so what we are invited to do is to listen to these two books in stereo. The big book, the word, the cosmos, the sound, and the little book, the scriptures, which reverberate with the sounds of our spiritual ancestors as they learn to read the big book themselves. Now, if we listen only to the little book, the scriptures, and we ignore the big book, creation, we may miss the vastness of the creator as well as creation. And if we listen only to the big book, the universe, the bigness of God, but we ignore the little book, the wisdom and the scriptures, we may miss the intimacy of the nature of the little book. That still small voice that speaks God speaking in secret places. The challenge is to listen to both books, not just individually, but in community, faithfully wrestling together to more deeply understand the sound of God and to resound with God in our lives and in our relationships. And what about the second feature of the story? What are we to make of the fact that the Magi, these stargazers, are going beyond the boundaries of their homeland and even their own religion to find the light? Well, tragically, we've often been given, <coughs> excuse me, the impression, somewhere we picked it up, that we already have all the light we need. You know, with what we already know, within our nation, within our favorite brand of politics, within our favorite religious tradition, within our own family. I mean, we know best. But our gospel story points to something radically different, and that is that there is light beyond our inherited boundaries and that we need this light. And it's given to add to and enhance the light we already have received, not to compete with the light that we've already received. And so we need one another as friends, as nations, as people of other faith traditions, as much as any species of the earth needs another species of the earth to be whole. Over the past 12 or 15 years or so, one of the most life-giving things that I have done is to participate in the Oklahoma Interfaith Alliance. You see, I always feel incredibly sorry for Christians whose faith is so easily threatened that they shy away from interacting with other devout people who happen to believe differently in other faith traditions. Because there is something very holy and life-changing about rolling up one's sleeves and serving the broader community alongside people who come from other faith traditions. What I would love to tell Christians who are hesitant to do so is, it doesn't weaken my Christian faith a single bit to feed the poor or to help a refugee family find housing or work alongside someone who looks differently, believes differently, speaks or thinks differently than I do. In fact, it strengthens my Christian faith to witness others seeking and serving the greater good in their own tradition. And we're all better for it at a community level. You see, like the wise men, the stargazers, sometimes I need to go beyond the boundaries of everything that's familiar to me. I need to go beyond the boundaries of my homeland, beyond the boundaries of my inherited tradition in order to see things more deeply, more accurately, more fully. And every time I serve with my interfaith friends, after it's done, it's like my eyes are lenses that have just been thoroughly cleaned. And actually, I can see the light better from my own Christian perspective because I'm in relationship 
with others, and I find my lane. Now, some would say I should be able to do all that from my own tradition. But for the stargazing magi, it took a visit to the east. They had to go beyond what they'd known. And sometimes, friends, God calls us to recognize that there is light beyond the everyday, ordinary places we're accustomed to finding it in our daily lives and in our faith. And so my encouragement to you in 2023 is to expand the people and the places where you look for the light. It will do nothing but deepen your Christian faith. This is the truth of the epiphany, friends, that we are loved that we are part of this beautiful light of God, though we do not possess it all, that we too are called to shine for the healing of the world and to celebrate the light whenever and wherever we find it. And if we have eyes to see, we will see the light where we have yet to recognize it, as long as we're looking. And this leads to the third feature of our story. It's about risk, enormous risk. The light that the wise men find is a threat to the most powerful man in Judea because the light that the wise men find, the light that is most fully for Christians revealed in the Christ child, is also the light that is at the very heart of all life. Not just of some life, not just in certain people. Any power structure, you see, that favors only some rather than serving all people, all of life, including God's creation, is a false power. And so false power has no ultimate future. It always collapses eventually. And at some point, at some level, I think false power almost knows this about itself, which is why it feels so threatened by the light of God's love. Now, we don't ultimately know the rest of the story about the wise men from today's text or anywhere else in the scriptures, but my sense is that they would never have regretted the risks that they took. And they would never have regretted crossing the boundaries of everything that was familiar to them. And they would have never regretted following a star because look after all where it led them. Look after all to whom it led them. The late Mary Oliver, Pulitzer Prize winning poet, in her poem, Six Recognitions of Our Lord, she writes of such a moment, listen carefully. Then, she says, I go back to my own house, my own life, which has now become both brighter and simpler, somewhere I have never been before. Think about that. I think the wise men in returning home by another way saw things more brightly. The light they had found in a distant land turned out to be the light of God, which is so bright it could be seen on all sides of every border or division that humankind had created. And now they saw it as if for the first time. Friends, shall we seek and celebrate this light beyond the familiar together this year? Let me close with a prayer from the Praying with the Earth prayer book by John Philip Newell. I invite you, if you feel comfortable, to close your eyes and let these words wash blessing and light over you. May the angels of light glisten for us this day. May the sparks of God's beauty dance in the eyes of those we love. 
May the universe be on fire with presence for us this day. May the new sun's rising grace us with gratitude. Let earth's greenness shine and its waters writhe with spirit. Let heaven's wind stir the soil of our soul and fresh awakenings arise within us. May the mighty angels of light glisten in all things this day. May they summon us to reverence. May they call us to life. Amen.